I'm Kevin Bachman. When you tune into Background Check Radio, I'm usually the teacher. But today, I was the student, and it was a lot of fun learning. Stick around. I'm joined on this episode of Background Check Radio with my iCubed Advisors partner, Jason Morris, and Samba Safety's Chief Product Officer, Rich Lacey. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. I asked Jason and Rich to join me today, and I thought it'd be a great idea to record what has essentially been an ongoing conversation on, on some of the trends we've we've been seeing in the space. I, I kind of said to these guys, hey, you know, we're having these great talks here, not only about MVR products, which is Rich's world, obviously, but you know, a lot of other things that, that touch our space. So I really said to him, why don't we just hit the record button on this and, and share it? Because I think a lot of people may really like to be a fly on the wall here. Um, but before we hop in, Jason, Rich, we get a few hundred listeners each episode, but not everyone may be familiar with your guys' history in our industry. Um, why don't you guys share your background and, and how you came into this space and, and what your current role with your organization is? Rich, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, well, like most people that are probably listening, I, I grew up always wanting to be a background screening professional. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Actually, it was uh, totally unexpected. I was in—I've uh, been in software and uh, product management my whole career. Um, about ten years ago, I got a phone call from the then CEO of Samba Safety, who said that he was uh, was a, a guy I'd uh, met before and worked with before briefly, and and he said, "Hey, I'm the CEO of a company in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that connects to the DMV, and I want you to come run product." And I thought to myself, "That sounds pretty boring, and I'm not interested." Uh, but as I learned more about the space and what they were doing at Samba, I realized that they had really stumbled upon product market fit and were solving a, a very real and important problem for their customers, which if you're a product manager is a pretty exciting place to parachute into. So uh, I took the plunge, uh, joined the company about nine and a half years ago, and, and the rest is history. It's been, it's been a really fun ride. Nice. Thanks. Thanks, Rich, for, for sharing. Um, Jason, uh, Jason will give a, a 30 second, not to exceed 30 minutes intro on, on his role in our space. So Kevin and I have been working together for 20 plus years. Uh, I founded Employee Screen IQ with my partner, Nick Fishman and Les Fishman uh, back in 99. Uh, Les, I'm sorry, uh, Kevin came on board very shortly after uh, as we grew the business. But one of the things I've always been really passionate about from day one is the industry as a whole. Um, and so I was one of the founders of PBSA, which was NAPBS at the time. I got very, very involved from an industry thought leadership um, standpoint. And uh, when we sold the business in 2015, I continued on doing uh, consulting and a lot of expert witness work within the industry. So now I've joined teams with Kevin and uh, we're doing a lot of recruiting and M&A consulting and um, all kinds of things, 360 degree things that we can do for the background screening industry. And and Rich, I don't know if you know this, but my my history with with your company goes very very far back because Reed Rodriguez was a really good friend of mine um, when he had just started SoftTac, and you know we this you know bringing him into the industry and and seeing that company grow along with the industry was really really special. Oh, that's great! Yeah, Reed was a was is a, an amazing guy, and miss working with him. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'm going to take a minute for everyone listening and just kind of set the table for us before we dive in. You know, there, there's been, I think, so much introspection in, in our industry these last few months. And it's one of the reasons we began chatting offline. And of course, why I'm excited to bring us all here together today. Um, we're, we're starting to see a, a real bifurcation of products 
buyers, uses of information, fulfillment methods. And it, it, we're in such an interesting time right now, of course, coming off the lows of COVID, the highs of the post-COVID hiring boom. And now because we're seeing interest rates rise and, and there are some slowdowns in individual sectors. So I, I think as, as practitioners within the space, all of us, and not just the three of us, but everybody listening, our heads have really just been spinning round and round these last two, three years. So while, while today's talk may be a little heavier on, let's say, driving solutions, because you know, Rich is today's guest, we, we think there's a ton of applicability between what we're talking about today, not only for other products you're selling to clients, but just the general way you're all approaching your businesses. So it's that lens which I'm, I'm urging everybody looking through to, to, to kind of, or listening to, to see this through today. Um, Jason, let's let's start here. Um, like you said, 20 years into the space, the last two, three years, really, really tumultuous. What What's kind of different now compared to 5, 10, 15 years ago? What, what are you thinking and, and hearing as we talk about this? Um, well, we've seen it, you know, we've seen where it's going, you know, it's all about speed. And, you know, 15 years ago, you could use the excuse that it's going to take, you know, five, six days, which you still can do um, for there's certain outliers, but as a whole, the, the background screening industry has gotten a lot faster at what they do. Um, so I think the expectation has risen now that that things need to be fast, they need to be accurate as well. Um, so that's number one. I think number two um, would be the acceptability in the industry and the desire to, to go and sell new products, which is something that the industry has been afraid of for a very long time. Um, so that's that's what, probably two of the biggest changes I've seen. And 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 Jason, I think that's that's an awesome segue into kind of Rich's world. Um, it, you know, Rich, what are your thoughts as you kind of as you communicate with customers, as you have conversations about new different ways to use information? Um, yeah, so I would totally agree with Jason. Speed is the forefront of people's mind in in our in our space around drivers and mobility. Um, the checking a, an applicant's driving history at the time of hire was the best um, best practice. And then in certain circles, mostly regulated trucking, to check it once a year was acceptable. In fact, that was all that was required by uh, the DOT and regulators. Um, but over the last um, six or seven years, and certainly over the last three years, the expectation has um, has changed, and it's it's more data faster. And, and there's a balancing act, I find. I, I talk to some of our users inside of organizations and you know, the person that decides um, if somebody is qualified to drive that day um, and they want you know, up to the minute, up to the second information. Um, you talk to other stakeholders and buyers in the organization, they might be a little bit more conservative, but still they're looking for you know, uh, vendors like us or you know, many of your listeners to provide, you know, as, as accurate, up-to-date and timely information as possible. Yeah, so, some really cool points that you guys share. And, and Jason, you know, you're talking about your know, revenue growth and, and how as organizations, we look to not only differentiate ourselves from competitors, but but grow as an industry. And I think I think for so long, we've rammed our, our you know, heads against that same brick wall, the same buyer's 
talent acquisition, recruiting, HR. And then we kind of go back into our organizations and say, well, HR didn't want to buy this product. Or let's let's think of, um, you know, Rich, our guest today. HR doesn't want post-hire driving monitoring. Talent acquisition said no. Well, no, no shit, Sherlock. Of course they didn't want it. You know, they're they're in they're in charge of talent acquisition, not post-hire risk management. And knowing your passion for the space, Jason, over so many years, you know, risk management doesn't stop at the first day of onboarding, right? No, it doesn't. And and a lot of the reasons that companies in our space have failed to expand product and bring new product um, to their clients is because of the way that they operate. Um, you know, we, we've, I've talked a lot about this over the last several years about how successful companies in this industry are going to thrive. And, you know, it's, it's increasing net new sales, but it's also same, same store sales. And it's, it's not just a matter of doing it because you want to increase revenue. There are products that are available to them that you're doing them a disservice by not introducing to them. Um, and, and, and in there is monitoring, but also in there is other products, you know, other criminal products that are available, um, better ways of doing things in different areas. Like all those things are things that you should be bringing to the forefront and bringing to your existing client base. Um, I teach companies how to do that all the time. It's not done overnight. It's done the way you model your organization and the way you model your um your uh, sales process versus your account management process. They need to be two very, very different uh, people or positions within your company in order to be effective. Um, I'm not going to give away a lot of the secret sauce, but there's there's a lot to that and there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, but especially in, in a down economy, focusing on on these same store sales is, is really, really important. Yeah, I think most... Um... You know, most companies and, and solution providers, they, they solve an initial problem for a customer. And as you learn more about those customers and, and the other problems they have that are adjacent to that one that you are also well positioned to solve, and initially it's the same, the same buyer, then you can build out this portfolio, exactly as you said, Jason, that um, where you can start providing additional solutions to existing customers. And that's a really powerful place to be because if they're a customer already, they they clearly like you. They've decided to do business with you. Um, they're paying you because they're still a customer. So they know where to send the check every month. Um, and they trust you with your solution. So you have a leg up to um, you know, be invited in to solve additional problems for them, which is a, a really, a, I mean, I, I think as a product person, a privileged place to be inside of a customer. Yeah. And you know, I think I, I've always gotten the sense, well, and I know this to be true, HR doesn't love change. Um, and a lot of, a lot of HR does things a certain way because that's the way that they've, they've always done it. Um, and a lot of times as the background screening company, like Kevin said, are you going to the right person? Is, is, do you know the right buyer within the organization? And, and you might be telling, you know, your, your contact at XYZ company in HR that, you know, we have this kernel product can do a certain way. And they'll be like, you look, we don't want to rock. We just did the RFP. Like we don't want to be changing products, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you need to, you know, sidestep that. So a good example would be, you know, HR has been using this integration with us forever. It's an okay integration. It's leaky, blah, blah, blah. You know, we have this, we've had this API available for two years. You're not taking advantage of it. HR says, well, there's so much we're doing right now. It's not in the programming queue, whatever. You know, maybe maybe it makes sense that on your quarterly reviews or once once a year with that client that you bring the head of IT in um, or risk management in or the CFO in or something to get more of a 
holistic view of, of how things operate within that company and you're, to make sure that you're actually getting the right ears that you need. Yeah, the uh, you know, we often find that you know, we, we spend a lot of time looking for who in an organization owns the problem and owns the solution. And oftentimes, uh, from our perspective, it might not be HR. Um, it's risk management. It's safety, or in some circles, you know, it's referred to as trust and safety these days. It's compliance. Oftentimes, it's legal. Depending on the side of the size of the company, it might be uh, the person's last name might also be the name that's out, you know, on the building outside. So when we find that person, we you know we can we can have that conversation where we explore what we can what we can do for them. Sometimes it does lead back to HR. So we, we actually approach it a little differently through those buyers. And it's only been recently that we then get pulled into conversations with HR as we've expanded our solution set into other areas, primarily training. I I loved listening and just really putting <laughs> putting myself on mute for the last four or five minutes, listening to you guys go go back and forth because I think there's so much goodness that really came out of your your guys's um, exchange. Um, you know, people who who will listen to Jason and I or see us at PBSA, et cetera, know we are huge fans of deepening relationships within a company. Uh, for what reasons? Well, yes, you can sell them more things, right? You have an HR talent acquisition buyer who might be interested in pre-hire solutions, risk management, safety, security, interested in some of the post-hire solutions we're talking about here. But there's more utility to that. It's a way to protect relationships. It's insurance against getting that dreaded phone call of, hey, you know, somebody somebody left the company, somebody new is in, and poof, your million-dollar account is going out to bid. You know, if, if I had a dollar for every client that that kind of got surprised by that phone call, you know, I'd be running this podcast on a beach right now. And some of the things Rich, Rich and Jason are talking about is, you know, you're just making more friends within the organization. You're creating more evangelists. And eventually, like that might not pay off with sustained and new business growth forever, but it sure is one heck of a great insurance policy, right? I got to tell you, the insurance policy thing really, you know, it, it, it's poignant because, you know, looking at part of what I do, I do a lot of expert witness work and, and, I, and I defend background screening companies and I defend uh, companies in the supply chain. And I, I remember working on a case in the last couple of years where um, we had to prove that, you know, it was in the contract that the supplier said they were going to do it a certain way, which they did. It was in their standard operating procedures for that particular client. So they knew what they were doing and they were doing it the consistent way all the time. But then they also did continual training and met with leaders at the company and showed them new products and how to use the new products and everything else to further solidify those companies in the supply chain and the CRA by, by saying, look, we brought all this to them. They yeah. just have not decided to utilize it. Yes. Yes. Rich, I, I, I want to pivot to something that, that we're kind of talking about before we hit record, and that's you know increasing the ability of CRAs to tell more stories, mm -hmm. either through data or because of there's new products. And it almost seems like you know everything old is new again as I sit here drinking out of my back to the future uh, coffee mug, right? Um, you know, this, this isn't your grandfather's monitoring product. It's not that once a year annual recheck that you just talked about. Um, you know, you, you shared some pretty cool stories with us. You, you want to do it for our audience as well? Yeah, so you're exactly right. It's, um, it's not just buying data on a frequency. Um, as an industry, we've evolved far beyond that. 
it's um one of the unique things about Samba is Samba is um is a partner to over 700 CRAs, um, and we provide a you know important ingredient to the background check in the form of the motor vehicle record, and then we use that actually as a jumping off point and, and through partnerships um, allow that to become the first understanding you have of a driver. We allow then. You know that that enables customers to ensure they're hiring qualified drivers. We have a host of um, technologies that monitor the change of that behavior over time. So things like looking for changes to the license history, changes to the license status, if it's a regulated trucking company, things that happen at the uh, roadside inspections, and then bringing in telematics data, which is second by second data, and creating a risk profile, allowing the customer to tailor that risk profile to programmatically in, um, enforce their safety policy, which is really important. I think everybody that's listening can appreciate that when you let a system enforce a policy, it's less likely to uh, you know, implement bias, discrimination, human error, any of that. It's a very sterile way of evaluating risk. But if we stopped there, we would, you know, would not be really realizing the full promise. Not a single customer has ever called me up and said, hey, Rich, I need help firing drivers. Um, it is, it is A, not, not the business I want to be in, and it would be wholly unfulfilling. Um, and with a driver shortage of 78,000 drivers this year, um, we're in the business of helping customers make drivers better. So once you have that understanding of a driver's performance, what their behaviors are, what is risky, you can start to, to proactively assign training, schedule interventions, and make that driver better. And there's a retention play there that's really, really important. Um, that if you invest in your employees and you make them better, they're more likely to stick around and be loyal to their employer. There's the old adage that's, you know, the, the meme that says, what if we train everybody, all of our employees, and they leave? Um, well, that's better than if you don't train them and they stay. So it's, right. it, you know, so the first um, opportunity is really to invest in your, in your employee base, train, make them better. They'll be loyal, they'll stick around, and they'll be better employees for you. Second, yeah, that, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead, please. Um, and, and then the second piece is, is really, at the end of the day, when you think about risk from a driver perspective, um, it is the crash. And it's if we distilled it down into its simplest form, it's the crash that is the thing that creates all the um, all the negativity. It's what creates repair costs. It creates time away from work. It can create injuries and rehabilitation, and in worst cases, fatalities. Yeah, it's front front page of the newspaper stuff. Bad bad for the right. brand all around. Absolutely. Right. And then in the litigious society we live in, those damages can be 10x if you get pulled into court um, with, um, you know, a negligent entrustment or vicarious liability lawsuit. So the stakes are are really high. Um, and it's, if you can head that off and reduce that crash count just incrementally, it can have a significant impact on costs associated with the business. I mean, we routinely hear back from customers that they're seeing declines in claims costs in the millions or tens of millions of dollars, depending on the side of the organization. And that's 
you know, that's real money that goes straight into profitability for, for many customers. So as you can see quickly, it starts in HR in identifying qualified candidates, but very rapidly moves into an ROI that impacts the bottom line of, of companies of all sizes. Jason, I'm I'm thinking of stuff that we've worked together over the years on trying to quantify, and I and I hear Rich, and I'm a little jealous because there's there's certainly a math equation at play. Yeah, there's an ability yep. to quantify, and we've tried to do studies in the past where, okay, you know, the disorderly conduct at, at the bar, the guy who stole the stop sign, like how do you translate that into business impact? And it's it's really really hard to do. So you know, some some monitoring solutions, you're easier to make the math work than than others. Others. Um, I, I'm I'm jealous as you know, kind of hearing Rich say that. But one other thing, and I'd like your thoughts on he, he, he had said a minute ago, like, hey, we're in the recruiting and retention game. Yeah, I you love, know, I love, yeah. We're not walking around with a ruler slapping people on the knuckles and saying you can't work here anymore. And that sounds a heck of a lot different than you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, and it's funny because I've I've used a very similar line in in presentations to HR and and in different presentations and in, in uh, when I done when I've done some lobbying work, and the the theory was always like these are the guys that are there to stop people from getting jobs, and in reality we are the people making sure that the right people are in the right place and helping people get jobs, and and it so I think that the the idea that we are the the enemy here is 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 the wrong way to look at it and secondly um from the standpoint of a recruiter or the hr department at the company their job is not to exclude people from working there their job is to find people to work there they're using the background check at least i can speak from our customers most of our customer standpoint they're using that as a tool in that hiring process effectively um, and, and so I, I really like what you said there. I've never been able to verbalize it as well as you just did, but, uh, but, but, I, but I really like the approach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got 20 years of wordsmithing I've done for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, Rich also said, and, and, and Jason, I'm thinking of our audience right now, when we're, we're thinking about, you know, trends, not only the grow the business, um, improve the bottom line, sell products, communicate better. And I mentioned a minute ago, stories, like the more stories we have, he had said, Hey, it's it's not just buying data. We we've moved beyond that, and you know we think of not only our own company but companies we work with now. And it's like, okay, product knowledge. Well, that that used to be good enough. You describe what the product does, and cross your fingers, hope you buy it. But there's so much more utility, I think, in showing what that value is. The quantification I mentioned earlier, of course, but just. Um, and, and you know, I, I will pass the compliment you gave me along to Rich. He very eloquently showed that, um, and, and he said it without saying it, which is just call your partner, call your partner and ask him. It doesn't have to be for drivers, could be for criminal, right. could be for any other products that, that, you know, that, that you buy from a third party, call him and ask him to help you sell it better and sell more of it. You know, we're kind of all on the same side here, right guys? Oh, Absolutely. Without, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the things. So, so when we, when we partner with CRAs to provide the solution in the marketplace, we see exactly what you articulated, Kevin. If if you go in and, and talk about speeds and feeds, features, functionality, it's not really, it's not really compelling. But if you if you focus on the business outcomes and what the customer can accomplish, it's totally different. And and in this ecosystem, you know, the partners, 
they live and breathe their solution on a daily basis and are an asset to be pulled into those conversations and are more than happy to. Um, you know, I'll get on the phone any day, anytime with a partner and talk about what we do uh, to help them get a deal uh, because I believe in what we do and and good partners create good businesses. So um, absolutely true. And we- I want to I want to put you on the spot for a sec, Rich, and I think I know the answer. It's kind of why I'm going to ask you this question. 700 CRAs you you just mentioned um, that you partner with. How many make that phone call and say, Rich, Samba team, et cetera, help me sell this better? Um, I wish it was more, if I'm being yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, is, is 10%, like, like I think 10%. I think if you got 70 phone calls last year, that's a lot. Um, that would be a good year. Yeah. Um, right. It, you know, I'm not saying it's rare and, and I get it right. Is as, as a, you, you want to, if I'm not a salesperson, um, but if I was, I would imagine that I would want to, um, own my account and I would want to control the, the message and what was being, uh, delivered to that account. And it takes time to build trust, to, to introduce somebody else into that, into that relationship. Um, so it, it, it takes time to build, um, productive, durable partnerships that are based in trust like that. And fortunately we have a, you know, a stellar partner team here at Samba that works on that every day. And, um, you know, we, we continue to, you know, hopefully break that barrier down. Yeah. And, and of course I'm not critical of the 630 who did not call you last year. See how I did that math on the fly, Jason. Um, (laughs) I am that's, that's opportunity. Totally. That's it not, is not the judging second. them. That's opportunity yeah. for everybody. No, I'm judging them. I'm definitely judging <laughs> them. I mean, I, because, you know, I remember when we were building our business and I remember 20 years ago, we used to all go to this conference in, uh, in Tampa. It was before a PBSA was even a thing. And, you know, I remember back then, you know, national database searches were like just the redheaded stepchild. The industry hated them. We kind of feared them. We thought they would put us out of business. But in reality, we all realized that eventually it was never going to be any sort of silver bullet. But I remember going to Bill Bollinger there 20 plus years ago when they were selling the product for like 20 bucks a name, you know, per search. And I said, Bill, I just I just can't I can't sell this like nobody's buying it from me, especially at that price point. And he's like, tell you what, I'll knock it. He knocked it down like 90 percent for me. And he's like, what if I teach you how to sell it? I'll tell you how to sell it. And, and he did. And I, and I failed the first couple of times. And then I kept going back to him and asking him for more advice on how to sell it, sell it, sell it. And eventually it started to click. And, and I learned how to sell that product. Um, so, I mean, for people listening, like utilize these services that you're, you know, within your supply chain, it, you, if you can't, if you don't know the product well enough to sell it, you're never going to sell it. Yep. And a good partner will, um, We'll jump right in and teach you how to sell it. We'll co-sell it with you. We'll sell it for you. Yep. Um, uh, doesn't you know? Doesn't matter. They're they're everybody is incentivized really the same way in in those relationships if, if done well. Yeah, totally. Uh, something we've also talked about in the past, which I think is a, a quote the three of us. I think it's a cool concept to share with everybody. Um, you know, there's there's a a uh, I think the phrase we're using was kind of a totality of data. It's not five or six components inside of one consumer report all viewed in a vacuum. It's how does this product and the data here 
allow me to assess risk better or worse in conjunction with the other product here. Um, such a cool concept. And I know that um, not a lot of people thinking or kind of talking that way, right? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think so. And I, and I think as an industry, we're just scratching the surface on that. Um, that when you, when you look at data elements in silos, you're missing some really um, enlightening and valuable connections. Um, you know, for, for example, MVR data, most people are familiar with that. It's uh, infrequent, meaning that most people don't get a whole lot of speeding tickets, except for, well, we know who they are. Um, uh, but they're highly, highly accurate. They're adjudicated. It goes through a court of law. It's, you know, the, the dispute rate on a speeding ticket is very, very low. Um, the flip side is, you know, like we bring in telematics data. It is, it is second by second data, but it is not validated. It is not, you know, um, always accurate. There are errors in the signals and sometimes a hard break in a, in a vehicle from the GPS um, is bad because you're following too close or your nose is in your phone, or it's the best hard break ever because you avoid a horrific accident in a neighborhood. Um, so you bring those things together and you have a complete picture. You can also start to look at this data set and you compare it to criminal data. So we've done some, some analysis um, with criminal data and we see interesting trends like um, substance abuse, assault and battery, and fraud, primarily like identity fraud type of charges are highly correlated with uh, major, like the most egregious traffic violations and also um, correlated with invalid licenses. Um, that's a pretty interesting correlation. Some of it makes lo you know, logical sense, um, but an invalid license is actually highly indicative of risk. And an invalid license isn't just if somebody has a DUI. I mean, it is in many cases, but not always. Most of the time, most invalid licenses are administrative. And it, it, you know, it's the result of somebody didn't pay a parking ticket or somebody didn't pay child support. A lot of states will suspend the driving privileges as, as a means to encourage them to, to fix that. Um, and then when we look at the data, we find that accidents that involve fatalities, one in five times, there's an invalid license involved. So if you did nothing but just make sure that every person behind the wheel for your company had a valid license, which is super easy and super trivial, that in and of itself has a profound impact on, on your risk profile and your exposure as a company. So it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's not rocket science, but it's using data to make decisions, which I love. And, and I think the industry has been building up towards that for a long, long time. There, there's, you know, this, this is obviously an auto audio recording, so people can't see the expression on my face, but the, the, you know, what Rich just said, Jason, and I, I think not only to our previous life, but companies we work with now, choices they have to make on a day-to-day client-by-client basis, um, convictions only, felony only, get the muni court records, don't get the muni court records, which, which um, you know, we, we, if, if you're living in the criminal world, you're thinking to yourself, ah, driver infractions, no no valid license, whatever, we would call them, you know, you quote, unquote, the, the, the ticky tack stuff. And Rich just talked about some of the correlation between that workplace performance and and other other risk, um, uh, you know, just ways to assess risk and what in one side of your building looks like, you know, just not something that's really important at all could be um, 
if you look at the, the data as a whole. Um, because, you know, the decisions are made on, do you go or not get that data that Rich just said, you know, through the criminal court system from a time, labor, turnaround time vantage point? And he's talking just about a completely different product as a way to kind of have your cake and eat it too. You know, maybe, maybe it's okay to make that choice on your fulfillment method on the criminal side. And if it's augmented with a different product or a different data set, you, you can help your client the same way while at the same time increasing your margins because you're not spending all that time, you know, on the phone with a court clerk trying to, you know, trying to validate something. Yep. Um, so my head kind of exploded there as, as he said that I, I, I wish 15 years ago. Um, I had kind of thought that way where he was just, just talking about it. Um, you know, we wanted to shoot for, for 35, 40 minutes, guys, we're probably at the 35 minute mark. Um, what, what else, what, what, what do we want to talk about? Um, what's important for our audience that we haven't hit on yet? And, and I ask, cause you know, Jason, you and I could do this for three hours. Our audience <laughs> doesn't have three hours, right? Yeah. I was getting ready to cancel my afternoon so we could keep going. Um, <laughs> no, I love this stuff. I, I think the one the one thing I would throw out there um, and uh, admit maybe a little bit of a shameless plug is, I don't know, when I first, uh, 10 years ago, when I first looked at um, this business and decided to, to join the company, like many people, I probably thought, oh, it's for trucking. Um, driver, driver monitoring is for trucking. Well, the reality is there's only 5 million commercial truck drivers out there, tractor trailers. Only about 3 million of those are regulated by the DOT. Um, but what, what there are 40 million people that drive vehicles for work. These are corporate-owned vehicles. So these are ambulance drivers, school bus drivers. Um, these are cable and telco, oil and gas. Um, so medium light-duty trucks. Um, so that's another 40 million. There's also- The Amazon drivers going up and down the street. 20 times oh, man. A, a day even more in amazon vans that may or may yep. not be owned by amazon yep. or in their personal vehicles during the holiday season right um there's about i'm glad i'm glad you're sharing this because i had a note you know hey it's just not about the 18 wheelers anymore right yeah it's one of our past conversations and then and then there's another extension which are the people driving their own personal vehicles maybe they're being reimbursed for miles maybe they have a car allowance maybe they have none of those but they're driving for work they still present legal exposure. So there's another 30 to 40 million. And then you throw the gig economy on top. And the gig economy is fascinating in that it may only be a population of about 5 million, but they're working for multiple companies. They might drive for two companies. They might deliver food for a third company. So that 5 million becomes 6, 7, 8, 9 million because a single driver might be in two or three or four different accounts. All told, the TAM, the total addressable market of for, for a service like this, quickly gets to 80, 85 million drivers. So it's not just that 3 million uh, truck drivers that cross state lines. It's a massive opportunity um, that almost every company has some type of exposure for. And, and I and Jason, I, I hear Rich lay that out. And again, it, you know, it's not necessarily a driving specific, you know, product. But what what I kind of hear is as he lays out that example is, I, I kind of hear three different stories, right? And it depends on the particular buyer or whom you're working with. I heard a financial story. I heard a safety security story. I heard talent retention, brand, um, employer of choice. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, or, you know, one thing we didn't mention is just pure identity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, think about what is the thing everybody has in their wallet or purse that that proves their identity. Yep. It, it comes from the same place as what we're talking about here. Yep. Especially as we pivot to more remote work, you know, I mean, we're talking to each other now. None of us are in the same room. Uh, Rich is in a different state. Um, it, it It's not sitting in the same room across the desk from somebody um, and less and less hiring happens that way. So, right. It's, it's, it's an identity solution as well. That's, that's a great point. Final thoughts, guys, as we look to wrap up. Well, I'm jealous of Rich because he's in the mountains where I would like to be right now. Um, I'm, I'm just jealous of all the skiing he gets to, he gets to be doing right now. <laughs> Well, come on out. We'll, uh, we'll we'll head up one day and have a good time. Absolutely. Um, the uh, the the PBSA conference, I, I think, is a great opportunity if anyone wants to continue these conversations, either either with us, um, with Rich. I know I'm presenting Rich with a colleague of yours, uh, Jerry Baker. Um, we're talking about uh, a number of products from a monitoring standpoint: drivers, um, medical sanctions, uh, criminal monitoring, et cetera. So I'll be joined by Chad LaFon of Clearforce and Vince Brote of Informed Data. Really looking forward to that um, in, in Washington in April. Um, for our listeners, kind of recapping real quick, a lot of the themes that, that we talked about here, collaborating, um, asking your partners for help, um, encouraging that dialogue to to tell and learn more stories, help figure out that math equation. You know, the more success stories, the more ways we can describe the utility of our products, I think, uh, the more confident we'll not only be as sellers, but it's a way to to deepen relationships within your company, within your client base, protect against getting that phone call that none of us want, creating more evangelists. You know, these these are good things to think about. Um uh, you know, em empires are not built on just grinding out discounts a quarter here and nickel there from your partners. You know, we really have to look to extend our product lines, sell new things to different people within our client base. It's not just pre-hire talent acquisition or HR anymore. There is a whole world out there on the back end risk management, safety, security professionals, people that are really interested in, in these things that may have no idea who you are. Um, we, you know, here on, on this, but also um, others within your partner's buildings, they have a lot of people that are willing to help. And there's, there's a lot of different ways we can accomplish this. Um, I'm excited, guys, that we were able to do this. I hope everybody had a great time listening. Um, feel free, of course, to like, subscribe, share to this podcast. You can get it on Google, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you guys get a podcast. Looking forward to seeing everybody in a few weeks in Washington, D.C. And have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>